Folks, I stand up here humbled every week. And I'm going to tell you this because, you know, when you look into the word of God, you sometimes wonder, how is it that you're going to communicate the words of Jesus, the sentences of our Savior? And when those sentences are communicated, yet they're on the cross and probably some of the most profound words that were ever spoke were spoke right there from that cross. And it's awfully humbling for me that, you know, as I sit and I think this week of, you know, Jesus as he grasps his fifth cry and he says, I thirst. You you stop and you think, I thirst. How can something so profound be so real and yet so relevant to our life? And yet that is uh, something that's been resonating in my mind as we've been uh, on vacation and thinking about it. And I know uh, Pastor Todd spoke on my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? This morning, it's been a long time since I've sung a solo in this church. And I was, I was studying and I thought of this song because I know for myself, if it wasn't for that moment when I knelt and accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I wouldn't have any life. You know, we get so busy, and yet we forget that through music is our way of worship and is our way to communicate. And yet we have giftings, and oftentimes I think, why do I want to sing? You know, because it makes you nervous. But I want to share a story with you, and then go right into my message this morning. We get down to the rental car place, and we get off of our plane, and we get there, and we're all excited. And I'd, I'd gone to the, the you know, you, you start with your economy car, which is a Pinto. And for some of you that don't know what a Pinto is, <laughs> and uh, we had a Pinto. We loved it. And if you wanted something bigger, you get the Pinto station wagon. And, uh, but it was good because back in the day it was $6,000 or 3000 something like that, just to buy a brand-new Pinto. So, you know, you start off, and then they go to the next car, which becomes like a – a Ford Fusion, and then you'll go to something bigger, something bigger, something bigger, something bigger, something bigger. And then, so I chose something bigger, which was a Chrysler 300, which was still in, in what I could afford. And so, you know, as we are there, I, I thought to myself, I thought, well, you know, this is great. And, and we get there, and sitting right out front is a Jeep Wrangler, and I'm thinking, okay, this is cool. So I go in there, and she's like, you know, he th- he's, his name was Ash. He says, if you'd like to upgrade to a SUV, you can for $120. I said, like what? I said, like that Jeep that's out there? And he's like, well, it will be $120. And so as he continued to talk, I'm like, Ash, you and I are going to become best friends. He goes, I said, but I can't afford that. We're going to become best friends. I will discount it for you. I said, that's what I like to hear. So anyhow, he started to discount it for us. And, you know, I was so excited you know, Victoria, we said she turns 18. She's like, Dad, to have a Jeep Wrangler would be so cool. <laughs> have you ever gotten in a vehicle with five adults in a Jeep Wrangler? How many of you have ever been in a Jeep Wrangler? Wow. Now I call a Jeep Wrangler the clown mobile. Because we are like this as we appear outside with our luggage He's like, well, we'll back it up for you. You know, we're all excited because the front's going to come off. We're going to take off the doors. This is going to be a fun Florida vacation for us. It will be one we will never forget. Yeah, you're right. It will be one we will never forget. And so we get in the car. We're, we're, and this is exactly how it went.
said, how in the world are we going to put that luggage in the back? So, you know, you open up the door, open up the glass, and I was so amazed that we had 12 inches by 30 inches, and I went, where's the luggage going to go? We have five adults. Hold on a minute. Four daughters, okay? And as it was, we were rolling stuff up and packing it in, shoving it in there real tight. And um, so anyhow, we throw it all in the back, and we're all positioning it. And this is what is so funny about this whole thing. We got Ron standing there. We have the other guy, and he's like, you guys are going to have so much fun in this vehicle. And I'm standing there going, this isn't going to work. And so I look at him and go, how's this going to work for us? We can't even get our luggage in the back of this thing. Oh, we will. So he's like positioning it. And at first I thought we were playing, you know, almost like a Scrabble game, trying to put the pieces of everything together in a puzzle. So then they get it in there, and slowly they slam that door. The door slams, you know, and we forget the, the, the glass has to go down first. We have to open it back up, push the glass down, shut it. And we all look at each other and say, well, I still have a back backpack. Becky still has luggage. Where are we going to put it? So as we get into the vehicle, my wife, as I look to my right, she's like, this is going to work. We're all having a good spirit about ourselves. You guys know how that is, don't you? We're going to ma- make the best of this vacation. And so she says, I will hold this 40-pound bag all the way to Port Charlotte, Florida. One hour and 45 minutes away. So my wife gets in the Jeep. She sits down. The girls are in the back with their knees up like this. And she puts the luggage on. And I look at my aunt and I'm like, honey, put the luggage in. The nope, I've got it. I can hold this. See, when you think an hour and 45 minutes, but then your trip turns because of traffic down through Sarasota, your trip now turns into three hours, all of a sudden that bag starts to cut off circulation on your legs. And Becky on top of it has backpacks, the girls in the back, and we have my little princesses in the back as Lindsay's saying, I can't handle this! Get me out of this vehicle! I'm squished! Is that how it went, Lindsay? Okay. So anyhow, so Needless to say, we got this. But let me tell you what happened in the midst of all that. <laughs> and, and all we say now is two, four, because of my great nephew. He's just a, you know, Landon, he's a trip. But anyhow, so uh, we took him on vacation with us in memory. But anyhow, so I will say all this to say, but in the midst of all this, we were able to meet this gentleman. And his name was Ron, and he says, uh, my wife made the comment that we're going to be coming back, so on and so forth, and he asked why we had this tube that I was carrying around. Yes, I had an injury about nine months ago that I'm still suffering with, so I carry around my little inner tube, and so we sit on it, and so uh, with all that being said, he's like, well, brother, you need prayed over. Well, you know, at, at first when you hear people say that, you, you stop for just a moment, and you ask yourself, what's you're like, wow, really? Who's he? He says, well, you know, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm a born-again believer. Are you a born-again believer? And I said, yes, I am. And we proceeded to talk, and he says, Brother, do you understand that Jesus Christ went to the cross? And before long, he was preaching to us, was he not? 
He said, Jesus Christ went to the cross. He said, that's all under the blood. And I want you to know right now that you can be healed. Do you believe you can be healed? Yes. Do you believe you can be healed? Yes. No, I want you to really believe that you can be healed. I do believe I can be healed. And so, you know, meanwhile, he's like, all right, because I'm the shuttle driver, here's what we're going to do. When you guys get back, I'm going to pick you up. We're going to pray. We're going to lay hands on you. You're going to get healed from all of this. Well, as Becky was sharing that, you know, anxiety and and all the stuff that I go through and um, IBS. So he's like, we're going to pray over that. And so he's like, what else? And, you know, and it was so cool because here this whole thing I always say when I go on vacation, God prepositions somebody in our place. He already he always knows where we're going, what we're doing and what we're going to go through. And church, say this with me. I know God knows where I'm at. He does know where you're at. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're suffering through. And he wants to help you. And so as, as Ron walked right over there, you know what? He, he, we ended up, you know, because we had this awesome Jeep. He left. We embraced. We hugged. He didn't pray for us that day, but he said, when you get back, we will. Well, we, we lasted about four days with this Jeep, took it back to Tampa, exchanged it out. Long story short, he said, Saturday night, he said, I went and I started praying over you Saturday night. And, he, and God says he's going to be back tomorrow. Well, we weren't supposed to return the vehicle back till Thursday. And he said, so this morning, which was Sunday, he said, I started looking for you guys. Now, wait a minute. We got up Sunday and said, we're leaving here in Northport. And we're heading to Orlando to surprise our daughter, Kate. So, but we're on the way back, we're going to trade out the clown mobile. And then, remember, you guys remember that? Remember how clowns, like 15 of them, would roll out of that little tiny car? That's what it reminded me of. And, oh, wow, it was crazy. But, uh, so we replaced it with a nice grand Cherokee. They treated us well. And, uh, but as we pulled in, Ron stopped, he looked, he goes, wow, you guys are here. He goes, I got to tell you this story. And so he starts to tell, he was praying for me, and, you know, and God says he'll be there tomorrow morning. And so he's like, don't go anywhere. I got to take these people to the airport, and I'll be right back. Well, what was so cool through the midst of it all, my children I said, well, we'll go ahead and wait. So we, we swapped out the vehicles, and as we are waiting, um, I parked over to the side, and they said, well, we're, we're going to just wait. And we waited, and we waited. And I understand that it takes sometimes 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. So I said, let's go across the street. We'll grab something to eat. It's in the afternoon. And so we ended up going across. But one thing that really moved me was that the girls were like, Dad, you cannot abandon Ron. I said, I'm not abandoning Ron. I'm going to have Ron pray over me. You believe prayer heals? You believe there's power in prayer? Hallelujah. And so he gets back, and uh, we're sitting over the side. And, you know, we watched him from across the street, and he was looking all over for us. He, you know, he gets out the shuttle, and he's doing one of these numbers. Victoria's back there going, Dad, hurry up! I said, I can only go as fast as this McDonald's food will come out this window. <laughs> so we end up, you know, going back across the street, and he comes over, and he lays hands on my stomach, and he prays over me. And there was something that he said to me that sparred the thoughts of his son. He said, Father, when we kneel at your throne, and when we're in your kingdom, we understand that already within your kingdom, healing is taking place. And no matter what sin or infirmities or affirmities that we deal with here on this earth, that Father, in the name of Jesus and through your blood, heal this pastor. Help him to not deal with anxiety. Help him not to deal with with all the other suffering that he's going through. And for us, it was a moment that we just, 
I, I thought, wow, this is amazing. And you know what Satan wants to do for us? He wants to keep you so imprisoned to your sin. He wants to keep you so chained and bound up and in a jail cell that you don't ever feel like you can ever break free. But I want you to know something, that when he said on the cross, it is finished, it meant it was done. It was completed. And so when, when we kneel and we understand that when you come to an altar and you pray, that this is the time and the moment when Jesus starts to do a work in and through your life. And so this week as I was sitting, and some of you saw on Facebook, I had to write this letter because it hit me as if this is just a building, but this is the place where we kneel, where the blood of God heals our wretched, sinful body and frees us from all of the things that we've been in bondage to. And so as I just was looking at that picture, I couldn't help but to say, you know, God, in the midst of my discouragement, in the midst of sometimes anxiety, in the midst of all my flaws, when I kneel, I know that's where you meet me. Listen to this song and just the story of this song. It's called When I Knelt, the Blood Fell. Sin is a captive, it binds and it holds. Satan will try to abolish your soul. There's only one hope for your destiny, and that one. When I Jesus went to the throne, presented his sacrifice to God all alone. He said, Father, it is finished. He proclaimed as heaven cheered, this blood is for all nations. For their redemptions free and clear. When I knelt, the blood fell. 
the Lamb had prevailed. What made all hell tremble rang heaven's bells when I What made all hell tremble rang heaven's bells when I Amen. I know that it was at that moment when I knelt that the blood fell, that there was life and life abundantly. Jesus said, I am thirsty. No wonder he was thirsty. Loss of blood, exposure, heat, exhaustion, dehydration. He's been on the cross now for six long hours. The sweat rolls off like buckets and it's hot. And the flies are buzzing around him. And the crowds are taunting him. The blood mixes with the sweat as it pours off his body. In the end, dehydration sets in. Do you know what dehydration is like? First, it gives you a fever. Then it gives you a terrible throbbing pain in your head. And then cramps in your abdomen. And then nausea sets in. Do you know what dehydration is like? It gives you a fever. Then it gives you a terrible throbbing pain in your head and then cramps in your abdomen and then nausea sets in. Then your eyeballs begin to dry up in the sockets and then your lips begin to dry. Then your tongue gets swollen and thick and then your throat feels like sandpaper and then your vocal cords swell up in the end. Doesn't sound like human words. Almost sounds like the end of death. No wonder Jesus was thirsty. Because everything he had to say, I am thirsty. As we continue to keep looking at the seven sayings, that Jesus made on the cross and how they reveal the heart of the Savior. The story of God's love for us and our need for Him. It started off with, Father, forgive them. And we learned that Christ gives us the example of forgiveness. And then week number two, we looked at, today you will be with me in paradise. It's never too late for God's mercy and for his grace. And then he said, woman, behold your son. And he said, John, here is your mother. Christ demonstrates his compassion in the midst of our pain. And last week we heard, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ was abandoned so that we may be 
Christ was abandoned so that you may be adopted. So this morning, let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, and we'll be reading out of verses 28 and 29. And as you turn there, have you ever been thirsty? I mean, really thirsty. I mean, so thirsty that your lips are chapped. Your tongue still sticks. Your throat is so dry that you can't even make a sound. Sometimes that's how I feel when I'm up here singing, especially when you're singing a solo. And all that pressure's on you because it's one squeak that everybody's eyeball opens up and their one eyebrow raises and they say, what did he just do? But what happens is you get nervous and then your throat starts to dry up and your lips start to become chapped. That's what happens. Listen to this. An average American drinks 54 gallons of pop per year, 12 gallons of bottled water per year, 25 gallons of beer. Now, this is, we're not talking about the church. We're talking about people at large. If you pray, you're not drinking 25 gallons of beer a year. And, uh, but I love what it says here in John chapter 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. I am thirsty. And you, you see, and it follows right after, why have you forsaken me? And it also lines up in the time with Matthew chapter 27, verses 48 through 49 and Mark 15, 36, where it says, and it doesn't, he doesn't actually depict it in those Gospels, but he actually says, you'll hear the Roman soldiers say, would you like a drink? As they take the hyssop branch and they place that sponge there to give him something to drink. But in the Gospel of John, it depicts where he says, I am. After this, knowing that all was completed and that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there and one of them ran and got a sponge. He soaked the sponge in the wine vinegar, put it on a stalk of hyssop plant and offered it to Jesus to drink. And we stop and we say, and now all was completed. See, here's what Jesus did. He took on sin, he became the payment, and he fulfilled messianic prophecy, and he completed his mission so that the scripture would be fulfilled. All that was taking place because of the fulfillment of prophecy. You see, in Psalms, if you were to look at Psalm 69, verse 21, See, we see that Jesus is there, and he was, in fact, the Messiah. He was, and he is, the Deliverer. So we see him as the Messiah. We also recognize him as the Deliverer. In Psalm 69, 21, it says, They give me poison for food. They offer me sour wine for my thirst. So we see in the Old Testament that even in Psalms, that that prophetic message was being depicted and proven and revealed in the Gospels in the New Testament. See, Old Testament is prophecy concealed. New Testament is prophecy revealed. 
so we correlate the two. So then we look at, at also in Psalms 22:15, my strength is dried up like sun-baked clay and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You understand that there are over 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah. Isn't that amazing? 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah. And yet it took everything he had to utter that one single word. Which is in the Greek, which is one word, but in our English language it is two. I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. This was the common drink of Roman soldiers. It was a light wine turned sour and mixed with water. You see, what happens to vinegar is wine that becomes sour. So instead of giving what Roman soldiers would give him, they gave him soured wine. Have any of you ever had a teaspoon of like vinegar? That's nasty. And I know some of you take it for healing agents. And so, and I understand. But still, I'm not a drinker. I've never sipped wine, but I know what grape juice tastes like. And yet, when I look at this, I'm thinking, wow, here Jesus is in his humanity, which we will get to. And all of a sudden you go, what's just happening? So here, they put it on a stalk of the hyssop plant. Now watch this. I thought this was a very interesting note about the hyssop plant and how it is used actually in the Old Testament and in Scripture. The hyssop branch was what was used during the Passover to spread the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorstep, or I mean on the doorpost of the house. Isn't that interesting? He became the Lamb of God and his blood, what? Tore the veil in two and no longer do we have to have a lamb sacrifice because he became the ultimate sacrifice because he's the Lamb of God. So no longer do you have to to put the blood as he was speaking in the Old Testament. And so they used the hyssop branch to spread the blood on the doorpost. He had already refused gall, which was somewhat of a numbing agent. It was given to knock the edge off the pain. Sour wine, on the other hand, would actually revive and strengthen him somewhat. They were expecting him to cry out more for Elijah, and you'll see that as it's depicted in Matthew and Mark, and we won't go there. But they kept saying, I know, you're, you need to cry out for Elijah. You need to call, cry out for Elijah, which was the prophet, that they still believed him because they didn't believe that he was the Son of God. So Jesus came to die for you and I to prove to mankind in his humanity that he was the ultimate sacrifice for sin itself. So this morning, there's three points, and I'll do it very quickly, that we'll ponder on. One, his humanity. Two, his obedience. And three, his thirst. And you say, well, pastor, how can you correlate and relate those three points to this morning's message? Well, I hope that you'll open up your heart and we'll be able to do that. You see, this is not the first time that we've seen Jesus Christ demonstrate his humanity. You see, he got tired. He cried out with God as something to cling to. He got hungry. He slept, and he needed time alone. But again, in this, we're reminded of his humanity. So what did Jesus do during those moments when he got tired? He would tell his disciples, I need to go into the Mount of Olives. 
you know, I, I told my wife, I said, you know, they say the pastors are supposed to take sabbaticals. I take vacations. And I, I know for some of you, none of you have four daughters. And in my house, I have five women and a female cat. The female cat is as temperamental as these five women. It's very emotional, and it takes a lot. And so when I go on vacation, I go in there, and I collapse on that bed, and I think, Lord, what were you thinking when you gave me all these women? And he said, because you're the man that can handle all those women. And I said, amen, I'm going to sleep. So anyhow, but in reality, Jesus is with 12 disciples, and he still says, I'm tired and I'm ministering. So we go on vacation. I'm like, I'm tired coming back from vacation. These women did wear me out. But I, I noticed that even with Jesus and his humanity, he understood what his gospel was about. He understood. He walked on this earth. He lived a life of healing, of prayer, of miracles, and yet still was exhausted and said, can I just have time alone with my father? Time alone with my father? And yet here he was on the cross. And the sentence preceding that, he said, my God, why did you forsake me? But in his humanity, he was feeling exactly what you and I go through in those moments when we feel alone and we ask ourselves the question, where are you, God? And in that moment, he was demonstrating his humanity to all mankind. And I love what it says in Philippians chapter 2. Turn over with me. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Philippians 2, 6 through 11. It says this, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name, which is, what? Above every name. A more excellent name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22... Here's where all of a sudden the ascension takes place and he says, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Hold on a minute. Wait a minute. He came down to earth in the form of a man and yet it says everything becomes subject unto Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father. So do we, we obviously understand doctrine, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he did his work. We have the Holy Spirit that intercedes for us. Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, as it says, on the throne of God. And then he intercedes for us to the Father. So how do we pray? We pray in Jesus' name, as the Scripture says. But yet he identified with his humanity. Why is that important? Because sacrifice had to be made. Blood had to be shed. And God cannot die, so he became man. The humanity of Christ made it possible for him to be tempted by sin. The humanity of Christ made it possible for him to experience 
what we experience and what we feel and what we go through. His humanity made it possible for him to suffer on our behalf. Jesus Christ suffered for us. So as I look at the scriptures, I think, wow, for God the Father to come down in human form to understand humanity, to understand. And have you heard me say before, God is not intimidated with what you're going through. And this makes it real, doesn't it? You look at Philippians chapter 2, and all of a sudden you go, this is it. Now I understand. God knows how I feel. God knows where I'm at. And he's not intimidated by it because he's felt everything that you and I have felt throughout the course of this earthly journey. So now when I go in my prayer closet and put my face down to the carpet, I say, God, here I am. You know what I'm going through. You know how I feel. You know that I'm tired. Or you know that I'm happy. Whatever I'm going through, God knows that. And you have to believe it in your mind and in your heart and know that God is not intimidated. And that is the humanity Second of all, he's obedient. It says in Philippians 2, verse 8, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. This wasn't pleasant. It wasn't pleasant physically. It wasn't pleasant spiritually. And it wasn't pleasant emotionally. Yet, he knew the pain. For even said in Matthew 26, Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think that I cannot call on my Father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? So we look at the Old Testament. We look at the life of God. He caused the water to flow from the rock to satisfy Israel's thirst. This God now in the flesh turned the water to wine to bring, it, bring joy to a wedding party. He taught the woman at the well about living water. And while he could have miraculously made water flow from the very cross he hung on to quench his own thirst, he was obedient to the prophecies that were spoken in the Old Testament so that you and I may know him as Lord and Savior. He was submissive to amazing. If, let me ask you a question, church. If God, listen closely, if you knew the plans God had for you and you looked six years down the road and you didn't like those plans, how many of you would change? How many of you would change the course of your life and say, why did this ever happen? Wait a minute, I don't like what I see six I can't do that. And again, in his humanity, but yet in his sovereignty, you know what he says? It's okay. I know exactly what you're going through. I know how you feel. I know, and I'm not intimidated. Listen, it's okay. Because I am God. Wow. So as he was hanging on the cross, he was obedient, as it says, he was obedient unto death. 
because he knew as he was climbing up the Via Dolorosa, as he was going to the place of the skull of Mount of Golgotha, he knew then exactly just the pain and the suffering, and yet he took on the sins of this whole world so that you and I could have salvation, that we could be born again. So church, I'll tell you this. I want to quit. I want to quit. I want to quit. I'm sick of the ministry. But then I have to remind my family reminded that this ministry is not mine. It was never mine. It is God's to begin with. And I'm here to do a work. Because you know why? Because people are unkind and unlovely. I told my wife, okay, so am I allowed to be real? I told my wife over here, I love you, Pastor. I hate you, Pastor. You're awesome. No, you're not. But as Jesus was on the cross, as it says, Roman soldiers, plural, and this brought everything into reality for me, I all of a sudden knew right then that it doesn't matter. Because if I saw my whole book, Maybe I would say, I'm going to finish the course that's been set out for me, like Paul said in Acts chapter 20. And I would keep going on. And yet I go, but God, I'm tired. I can't handle it. And he said, I know, but you're fulfilling what you surrendered to do a long time ago, Todd Tackett, when you were 15 years old. And if I would have shown you that picture, you would have never picked up my cross and you would have never followed me. And so I have to stop and I have to realize that picking up the cross is forsaking all of my wants, all of my needs, and saying, God, here am I. Use me where I'm at. I surrender to you. And I become obedient to your will. And then I stop. And then all of a sudden it comes back. And the Lord in his sovereignty and in his love says to me, Oh, but Todd, you know I love you. And you have such great friends in the ministry. You have seen souls saved. You have seen lives changed. You're touching people, even in Tampa, Florida, as this man walks up to you and says, can I pray over you, preacher? God brought us together. So we can't, we can't always look at the negative. We have to look more at the cup being half full. And so I have to stop sometimes and realize that I don't need to quit that I don't need to give up, that I need to keep going on because there's more souls to save, more lives to change, and more people to build the kingdom of heaven. And if this church can remodel a building in three weeks, we can do a lot more for the kingdom of heaven. So here he was. He was obedient. He was submissive to his parents. And I'll give you my last thought. His thirst. His physical thirst reminds me of my spiritual thirst. Now, I'm just so thankful he knew. So Psalms 42, chapter 1 through 2 says this. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. The old hymn that the whole time I was planning this message was, Drinking at the springs of living water. Happy now am I. My thirst is satisfied. I'm drinking at the springs of living water. I remember as a, as a young man leading, you know, back in the day, 
in the Baptist days, <laughs> in the Baptist days, you know, I had to sing Old Jeff. Drinking at the Spring Water. You know, we had to lead music like this. And you can't bear from it. Because if you bear from it, you become charismatic. And so, you know, you had to make sure, was that a four-four tiny, two-eight tiny, whatever it was? You know, we had to, we had to go to that. But, you know, I, I remember that that was one of my favorite songs. So I say all this to say that even when he said, who's going to stop us? And even though we look at it, it says, and if I long for Christ, the living water, I will never thirst again. I will be satisfied. Can you hear me, church? If we long for Christ, the living water, then we will never thirst again, and we will be satisfied. I sat in my chair last evening, and I thought, Lord, are you disappointed in me? Because sometimes I feel like maybe I'm not as satisfied as I need to be. I felt calmness and a peace come over me, which I appreciated. Here's what he says in John chapter 4. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Isn't that awesome? On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood. And he said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So as I conclude, you see, Christ experienced thirst on the cross. So ours might be too. What do you thirst for? The Bible says in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Do you really hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? You see, thirst tells us that our bodies are in need. When you're running, thirst tells you, I need a drink. Got to be careful how much you drink and what you drink when you're running. But watch the correlation. Spiritual thirst tells us that our souls are hungry. Too thirsty will anew. Too thirsty, really need to be too desperate. So as I close, we're not meant to hunger and thirst after experiences, after happiness, after things or approval or money or etc. or status or anything else. If we want to be truly happy and blessed, we must hunger and thirst after righteousness. We must thirst for the living one. We must understand the reward for those who thirst is quenched in Christ. Revelation 7 says this, Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. 
For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their We know that when our body starts to say, I'm thirsty, some transition starts to take place in our body and we're like, I need some water. I always tell the guys, please make sure that I have water up here because I know at one point or another, I need a drink of water. Because all of a sudden, because of emotion or, or nerves or whatever, I start to crave some water. So I'm going to ask you church a question. When was the last time When was the last time that you craved water? And said, because you see, as he was on the cross, he said, I thirst. But what was he truly doing? Was he demonstrating humanity? Was he demonstrating what in the world? I thirst to be in the arms of a shepherd. Yes, he was thirsting. He understood, let me demonstrate. When they put the nail in his, which they don't, they didn't put it here, they put it here so that while you're on the cross and one of your feet, understand what happened. The reason why they gave him something to drink, because the wine and the vinegar gave you energy. It was more of a, a, a sedative to help kind of give you, uh, again, like almost a, a quick surge. And so if a person was like this on the cross and his foot was here, when they slapped down, they couldn't touch their breath. You've got to remember what happened to him. So all of a sudden, when he went up, so he said, I thirst, but he refused to take anything because he wanted to die for the sake of mankind. Isn't that amazing? He was in the sixth hour, and yet Jesus Christ said, I thirst. And yet he knew that if he were to take anything that would prolong the death of Christ on the cross. I'm going to ask you, church, why are you prolonging the life that you're living? Remember, sin is a captive. It binds and it holds. Satan will try to abolish your soul. But there's only one hope for your destiny. And that one hope is found when you're down on your knees. Only Jesus Christ can bring healing and hope and salvation. And if you are at a, at a crossroads in your life, listen, church, and you say, I need Christ, then today we're going to sing a song called Cornerstone. You get out of your seat, you come and humble yourself, and you pray. And I'm talking teenagers too. Quit thinking that it's not your role, it's everyone's role to get on their knees and to pray back. Instead of thirsting for spiritual fulfillment, say, God, fill me up to overflowing. Even told the woman at the well, you will never be thirsty again. And yet he was on the cross, and he knew he was obedient until death. So he said, Jesus did for you and I.
Let's all stand to our feet as we pray. Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for your word. You are worthy. You are the Lamb of God that was slain. And today, Father, you know, many of us have a difficult time picking up our cross and following you. How many young people in this room have not even dedicated their relationship or their life to Christ because they just, they're afraid to take that next step for fear of what tomorrow or even this afternoon might hold for them. But Lord, we've got men and women and children in this room that need to surrender because, Father, they need a drink from living water. They need a drink, Father God, from you. And Lord, no longer do we have to, to, to starve physically, emotionally, spiritually. Father, you can fill us up to overflowing. But you came down in human form to die on the cross to give us that life and the hope that we need. So Lord, today, help us to just continue to embrace the cross. Embrace the sufferings of the cross. May we never forget what you went through to give us life. Lord, we thank you that this Easter season, Lord, we can look at those things from the cross and say, Lord, yes, today I need you. I don't want to walk out of here just a religious Christian. I want to walk out of here today a relational Christian. Father, you went to the cross to give us hope and to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. And so, Father, may we kneel at your altar. May we kneel at the foot of the cross and realize that you are the cornerstone. You are the one that keeps us together. Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can continue to fulfill the calling that you've put in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, help us and our humanity to become obedient until death.